You are listening to the Joe Rogan Experience Review Podcast. We find little nuggets, treasures, valuable pieces of gold in the Joe Rogan Experience Podcast and pass them on to you, perhaps expand a little bit. We are not associated with Joe Rogan in any way. Think of us as the talking dead to Joe's walking dead. You're listening to the Joe Rogan Experience Review. What a bizarre thing we've created. Now with your host, Adam Thorne. This might either be the worst podcast or the best one of all time. One, go. Enjoy the show. All right, and welcome to the show. Joined as always by my fearless co-host, Todd Heath. How are you doing, buddy? All right. I'm great, buddy. I'm fearless today. I love that. Yeah, you're fearless. Fearless. And you're calling it in, so hopefully the sound is okay. Uh, Remember to keep keep your vocals high. Do that for me. I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna keep yelling, buddy. Nice. We got uh, David Cho today. What a beautiful lunatic he is. And then uh, Mike uh, Vecchioni. That's how I'd like to think. Vecchione. I know. Very Italian. Vecchione. Funny guy. Funny guy. All right. Let's get into it. David Cho. Man, is he eccentric? I mean, let's be honest. It's expected. But uh, sometimes a little difficult to kind of keep track of his uh, thought process there. He's one of those guys. Dude, I mean, I just had no idea. I've seen his art, you know. I've seen his art where he, you know, he's obviously done some really cool paintings. He's pretty bizarre paintings as well. I mean, he's all over the board with his art, Uh if you've seen it. I mean, I checked out his website. It's just, there's just so many different things he's done as far as art i mean he's 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 painted rogan that painting of rogan that he did was sweet the coolest one that i thought was that one of uh bourdain anthony bourdain did you see that one yeah that one's really cool yeah for sure that's badass but Uh i mean what's up with the red paint on his face he never really explained himself there uh i think he was just i don't know maybe he's like he was talking about that african tribe a lot maybe he's just uh dressing himself up. I think he also wanted to test to see if people in Austin would look at him like he's a weirdo and they seem to be cool with him. Uh, he's yeah. looking to move to Austin. Kinda is what it sounds like. He likes that town. He wants to get out of LA and maybe he's like, Hey, let's see. As long as they got good kimchi and they kind of accept his eccentric behavior, uh, he might be in good shape. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, I guess he had to test it out, right? Yep. Yep. I mean, it says some cool things for uh, Austin if they didn't think that he seemed like too much of a weirdo. He was dressed like that when he went to the barbecue place. <laughs> I know. What, what yeah, a guy. Yeah, so his, his newest trip, he says he wants to go to Africa and live in a cave, right? Yeah. And and he said that they also did a movie. What was this? The Hatsa? The Hatsa is the tribe there? Uh-huh. Okay, so he's going to go live with these people in a cave for how long? He said like a year? Yeah, I don't know how feasible that is, really. I mean, it sounds like a great adventure, but after how long would you realize, I just kind of want like a nice bed? I mean, he has a lot of luxuries and a ton of money. So maybe this is just like an eccentric kind of uh, romantic fantasy of his to do. But I I don't know if it's very sustainable. What it sounds like to me is he has so much money and always has 
it, that he's just got really bored with everything, which is reasonable. Right. And now he just doesn't kind of know what to do with himself. It almost made him like more lost in a way. I feel that. I feel that for sure. It's like he's been searching for a long time to figure out what he really wants in life. And he's done so many different things with his art. He just gives it away. Yeah. You know, he tries to be a philanthropist to make him feel better, but that clearly isn't doing enough for him. I mean, he is just pushing himself, dude. He's just so out there. And I mean, what a cool dude, really. Oh, yeah. You have the luxuries to be able to do whatever you want. Why not go live in a cave in Africa? Maybe that'll be good for him. Well, I think all the adventures and opportunities that he has are really cool. Uh, it's just, it's it's almost like a bit of a shame listening to it that he hasn't found this ultimate peace with himself as well. Like now he says he's on the spiritual journey because he's done everything else. Like he banged all the supermodels and bought all the toys, gone on all the adventures, but now it's just what's left is this kind of altruistic, help everybody spiritual journey and i don't know i just like you know uh, i think a lot of people would trade their lives for his meaning you just have infinite money you really can do whatever you want and it would seem to a lot of people like that's better it's better than what they have they would take it in some way though when you're listening to him it's like i don't know i don't know how satisfied maybe he is i think this searching is it sounds almost exhausting yeah i agree i mean if you if you watch that movie happy have you ever seen that movie called happy uh no it talks about it's i believe it was made by the guy who made ace ventura he went he kind of lost his mind there for a minute and he didn't want to be famous anymore so he just kind of went on his own little adventure on his own little david show journey and then he made a film about who are the happiest people in the world uh-huh. and they came they came to the conclusion that the happiest people in the world are people in um india that basically live in shanty towns you know and and drink parasitic water all day but but they're the happiest because they have family and they're surrounded by you know cousins and and grandfathers and uncles and just a bunch of family and they're just living simple lives you know they're going to get water every day they're cooking food together they're just it's just so simplistic but they are clearly the happiest people according to this film and it it makes it makes a lot of sense really well it's interesting you say that because you know i don't i didn't get the chance to make a documentary and interview tons of people but just in my life if you ask me who the happiest single person or most content human i've ever met was it's this guy yeah. i used to talk to when i lived in sri lanka which is just the island south of india and uh yeah he kind of lived outside of uh the house that we were renting when we were teaching english there and what was interesting about him is he had nowhere to live so he was homeless but he spoke english so he had some education and he was always reading, always had a book on him that he would, like, find in these, like, piles of trash. And he would recycle plastic uh, water bottles or just bottles. He would go around to the piles of trash and collect up enough every day so that he could have this big rice meal. And he would just eat once a day. And mm. I talked to him enough times because I was there. I guess we were staying in that house almost four months. 
And I would see him most mornings, and he was always very pleasant and happy and just cool to talk to and liked, you know, practicing his English. But he'd, like, tell me about things that were happening in the book and these kind of beautiful observations that weren't, you know, wacky and out there. It was just, like, stuff he had admired or seen that day. And I asked him a few times, I'm like, how is this, how does this make you happy? And I was just curious. I mean, I was young, too, so I probably wasn't being you know, um, super tactful with my questioning, but I just wanted to know. I didn't want him to feel bad. And he always just seemed really content. And he's like, yeah, because I, I know every day I get to eat and I'm in the community that I was raised in and people respect me here and I just need for nothing. And this is what I want to do. He goes, I, I just don't have any of the kind of other confusions or distractions in life. And it just, it was just so hard to understand, especially when you're 20, because, you know, you're thinking about schooling or your career or building a life and wanting money, just stuff that the West kind of trains you to think you need. It was so bizarre, but I'll never forget that guy. Mm. You know, I've seen a lot of old dudes up at the ski hill that do the same thing every single day. And I would say those are the happiest people that I know. Really? Yeah. You know, there's this one, there's this one dude who, who used to ride his bike to the ski hill every day. And he's up there every day, every single day he can ski. He, you know, he's got a snack in his backpack. You know, he's got a little bit of lunch that he made for himself. He goes to the same run at the end of the day. They, they hang out in the shack and probably smoke a little weed. And then they ski down after 4 p.m. And he just does it every day. And he's got his, you know, he's got his little, you know, hangout with a few of his friends that do the same thing. And they're all like in their late 60s, early 70s. And they've been doing it since the, you know, early 90s or maybe even 80s. They've been doing this for 40 years every day. Wow. And it's just that I think it's that simplicity. I think it's really just having that you know, money, money brings a lot of problems. Like you said, you think a career, yeah, is great, whatever. If that's what you're into, that's awesome. But sometimes that just adds more stress to your life. And if you have the same thing, you know what you're doing every day. There's not a bunch of stressors. I, I totally get that. I could see how it would be a perfect life. I mean, it might get a little lonesome sometimes. Maybe you want somebody to do that with, but it seems like he's got some good friends that he hangs out with every day. I don't, I'm not sure if he has a wife or not. Don't know. Huh. But definitely the most content dude that I know. Well, that kind of speaks for itself, right? Because it's hard to fake being content continuously if it's not true. And Oh, yeah. You can't fake it. No. What does he do in the summer when there's no skiing? Not sure. Huh. Yeah, I don't know. I know he lives close to uh, Bridger Bowl, which is the ski hill. Right. And, you know, like, like I said, he would ride his bike to, to the ski hill, didn't even drive. I think um, that's a good question. I'll have to figure out what he does in the summertime. Yeah, he'd be a good person to interview just to kind of learn, you know, like his process and what's going on. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think the fear of that type of life is like, okay, well, you know, it's hard to have a family and support them but not necessary for everybody. Also, what do you do when you're kind of too old to walk, uh, to work? You know, how do you have a retirement or whatever? But ultimately, your health's going <laughs> to fail anyway. You know, I mean, everyone's got to die. 
So I don't know how prepared we are supposed to be. Are we really supposed to sacrifice our whole lives just to be prepared for like the last 10, 15 years? It's a tough question. I would say that that's probably the problem, right? We think that we need to do that when really we shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not. I mean. Well, it's so much in the middle of our lives. And maybe that's something that, you know, I mean, David didn't need to do that, right? He was super wealthy early on. So most of everything he was doing was kind of being wacky and exploring his way and kind of leaning into pleasures and leaning into consumerism and leaning into buying the coolest pool that some other rich guy told him to get that was, what, oxygenated instead of chlorine and... Uh, yeah, yeah, like better than the salt one, apparently. There's an oxygenated one that's even better than the than the salt pool. Right. But, you know, how and often is... Tanks. How often is he swimming in there or even enjoying his house? I mean, if he wants to escape to Africa and go live in a cave, then that route, at least for him, is clearly not what's going to work. Well, no, I, I feel like if you got to hire a Russian dude for $600 an hour to be your trainer, to basically beat you up, there's something else going on that's, that's missing in your life. You got to find something. That's so extreme. But didn't he say he was getting ready for the survivor show? Oh, is that why? Yeah. I think it like coincided with that. So he wanted to get in real good shape and knew he needed a lot of motivation because, you know, who's to tell him what to do, right? He'd just be like, no, I don't want to do that today, and then not do it. So he has a Russian trainer that would beat him up. That's, But again, it, it kind of fits. Like, in a sense, that's like an artsy thing to do as well. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, look, obviously he's into extremes, right? Yeah. He like has to do everything to the extreme. I mean, he's not he doesn't seem content. I think that's really what it comes down to. He's searching for sure. And you could you could feel it in 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 just his conversation with Joe. Even even telling Joe that he loved him so much, you know? There was like this there was like this search to want to be accepted or something you know sure did you feel that yeah 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 i mean he's you know that's like a very kind of hippie spiritual person thing to do you know start the pod with a hug joe's not opposed to it but he he doesn't usually like force that on other people but um it, it does kind of describe somebody that maybe wears a lot of beads just be like i'm a hugger man like they kind of force that on everybody well, he's definitely searching after L.A., you know. I mean, what was he saying, that he has a baseball bat that he mostly only uses to threaten to hit people with, and there's, like, junkies around his house constantly? And this is kind of a new thing, like a post-COVID or during-COVID event that these things were popping up. And, you know, he's talking about it just not being safe and feeling safe there. Right. What a mess. Yeah, I don't think I'd I don't think I'd feel safe there too. I mean that it's just there's just too many people, man. I mean Joe talks about it all the time. What did you what did you think about this ancient Sumerian text? Joe's brought this up a few times and it was weird how it 
coincided with what David Cho was speaking of, about when he was taking his, um, I think he, when he was talking about taking ayahuasca. Right. He had all these alien beings coming to him and saying that, you know, he's part alien. And then it talked about his butt being blue. And I, I didn't realize a bunch <laughs> of Asians are born with like a blue birthmark on their ass. All right. Yeah. Um, but but they talked about this this ancient Sumerian text and how it coincides with this um, with this butt being blue. Right. Or like how, you know, this the text talks about how aliens and humans you know, basically aliens came down and fucked a, uh, a monkey, right? And I don't know. Human. Is that part of the text? I think it was like a, a, what they call like a panspermia type thing, where they came down, saw us, and either gave us technologies and knowledge, or they kind of genetically altered us. So he was talking about okay. how uh, Eddie Bravo's jiu-jitsu place, 10th Planet, got its name. And I didn't realize that Joe actually coined that term, but it makes sense. Because Joe's always been into those like ancient alien theories. And one of the oldest ones... Wait, was it, wait hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Sorry, was it 10th Planet or 12th Planet? 10th Planet is the name of Eddie Bravo's jiu-jitsu. But I think that in the story of the... Um, uh, those aliens that he's talking about. I think there is like 10, 11, 12 planets in that theory, something like that. I mean... Okay. Yeah, because the book was called 12th Planet. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So what would the 10th planet be? I mean, if Pluto was still a planet, not a moon, then the 10th one is beyond that. And that's kind of... You know, there was just this ancient text. What's weird about it is how old that text is. It's like some of the first text like written text by humans that we found and it mostly all talks about these star people that came down and gave us knowledge which is very Mm. bizarre if you're thinking like okay this is the first time anyone's written anything down and then you also happen to be writing about what if it's not true what can only be assumed is like a really cool sci-fi novel seems a bit advanced way advanced yeah it makes sense that the first time you can write anything down you're just going to try and pass knowledge of truthful events almost like a historical record but how do you make sense of that i don't know i mean yeah i'm gonna have to read these ancient sumerian texts now yeah well they're hard because they're in a different language maybe someone's translated it so you can look at it but yeah, a lot of stuff about the star people. I think these ancient Sumerian people, like aliens, were supposed to be super tall, way taller than us. And the actually that um, show that was always on, uh, I think it's Nat Geo. You know, Ancient Aliens. That was like mm-hmm. a very silly show, but also a lot of fun. The I think the first season covers them a lot. Like they go in depth on on all the scripture and try and make sense of it. It's like weirdly compelling and no one really talks about it. Well, it was weirdly compelling to hear him talk about how he's getting laughed at by the shaman. And then in his trip, the alien came, comes to earth. And then what did he say? They, we used our minds to inseminate you. Right. Right. And then he, t- and then he goes on to talk about how, 
these a lot of Asians have a giant blue birthmark on their on their ass. Huh. And yeah. that was that was part of you know this trip that he had. And so of course he thinks you know Cho obviously thinks that we came from aliens. Right. right? He would. It yeah. was just strange, man. Yeah, I don't really know how that was related to it. I can't really remember that part. Um, but I, it was interesting that when he was doing one of the ayahuasca trips, that he got the message, hey, you've come here enough. This is enough. You don't need to do this anymore. And maybe that speaks right. to his like continual searching that he's doing. It's like, hey, dude, you've searched enough. You know, just be satisfied with what is happening. And kind of there what was what was all the uh placenta eating stuff that was (laughs) that was wild that's just searching more dude searching to 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 eat the healthiest stuff i mean he talked about making a 600 or something hundred dollar shake every morning right you know with like 300 dollar manuga honey and oh yeah he did talk about Buying all the most expensive was, stuff from Whole Foods or wherever. Did you think it was weird that he talked about money so much, right? For somebody who doesn't really need the money or care about the money, he sure did like to to speak about it, right? Which kind of just shows, again, that he's still searching, man. I hope he can figure it out. Yeah, well, I don't know. It's It's like... It's an unusual thing that he's been able to do, especially the way that he made his money. And it's really the primary source of all of his freedom. So I guess when he's thinking about what to look for next, he always has that in the background taking care of everything for him. And, right. and you know, he, he also knows billionaires and other super rich people that are probably really obsessed with money, always thinking about it. So... Maybe it's his way of trying to understand it or what it is or what place it has or how important it is. Maybe there's a part of him that also feels trapped by it. I mean, you know, he was asking that billionaire for a billion dollars. But at the same time, I don't think you could go up to David Cho and say, hey, give me all your money. And he, whether he pretends he's not that fond of it or not that connected to it, he's not giving it up. Like, nobody's just giving away, you know, all of their fortune. Well, he, he's giving away his art, though, which is pretty cool. I don't think he sells his paintings anymore. He seems to be just giving them away. Or he started to give them away and then realized that nobody cared if you were giving stuff away for free. So then I think he started asking for money again. But then, right. for whatever reason, you know, he'll spend $600 on a, uh, an hour on a trainer, but now he goes to the 24 hour fitness. That's like, and he's showering with bums in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, didn't he it's also, weird, didn't he also say that he was, uh, like one of the first guys that ever refused a paycheck from Disney. Cause he did all the art for, you oh, know, the rebel right, right, art. Right, right, right. That was a great story. Actually, you know, just the fact that he brought it up to one of the producers or directors and they were like, yeah, you should do that. That sounds great get into it and then he's like i don't want to be paid right he just wanted to be an extra in the film right Uh uh-huh yeah so then they put him they put him in the film and he he had a mental breakdown because of it right he he was struggling for a while it sounded like He, he wanted to like learn one of the languages and like get into the character 
you know, he's just an eccentric guy, though. I mean, he's probably just always going to do things like that. Well, right, but he said he checked himself into a mental hospital after that, after he was on the Disney show, after he was in the film. Because he got so messed up, he was doing... He was doing method acting, right? Like you said, he was trying to learn this like Jabba the Hutt language, whatever uh-huh. it is. Yeah. And and he got way into it and he basically became this character and it said he it totally fucked with his mind. He didn't know what to do afterwards and had to check himself into a, a mental hospital. Yeah. But I he mean, still wants to act. Remember, Joe kept telling him, dude, don't act anymore. Stop doing that. Right. Yeah, this is not good for your health, dude. You're going to go too far. But maybe maybe that's his thing. He, he really, in a sense, does go, quote, unquote, too far. I don't know if, if you're an artist, you can ever go too far, you know, um, mm-hmm. with those exhibits where you can, like, beat the guy up or just scream a lot. I mean, he, he definitely has a lot of wacky exhibits that he puts on. Oh, no, that was cool, though. That was cool. He, he was talking about how he'd been to so many, um, you know, retreats for, for addiction, right? Like these, these hospitals you go to, these really, really expensive spots you go to for retreats, and they basically have you draw pictures and punch, you know, um, punching bags to get your anger out or whatnot. So he created this really, really expensive art exhibit where people could go in and let out their frustrations. Right. Right. Like you could actually punch a real human. Yeah. Or like smash up a car. Well, I can't remember some of the other things uh, they it, talked about. The but... one that I thought was really cool is you go into a room and there's a punk band and the lead singer oh, o- yeah, yeah. ODs in front of you. And then they usher you on stage to take over for the band. And he's he's painted all the lyrics on the wall, and you just basically have to scream them. Yes, that sounds fun. That's yeah, that's a great way to get some anger out. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's like very interactive art. You know, it must take a lot of time and cost a ton of money to put that on. What did you think yeah, about? Yeah, I think he said it was like a million bucks or something for him to, to for him to do that. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot. What did you think about but him? He felt great. Sorry. No, no, all good. What did you think about him discussing um, AI potentially like replacing Jamie's job? Oh yeah, that was bold. Well, I think he was uh, just I mentioning think- that it's possible. You know, just from an editing standpoint, but so much would get lost if it, it would almost be the same as if an AI chatbot sounded exactly like Rogan and then would commentate the UFC. It just wouldn't work it the same as having Rogan there at the UFC. It's just not the same. Yeah, I mean, I think I think though there's going to be versions of that, right, where you might not be able to tell the difference, and it's going to come down to whether or not the host wants to have a real human or an AI. I mean, this you know this could be thirty years out. Yeah, who knows? I think where but it I could work, be plenty of you could do it with the um what that BBC Nature show where they have um shoot I blanked on his name David. David Dave, Attenborough. David Attenborough, right? He's very old now. Yeah. Bless him. I hope he lives forever, but it's highly unlikely. And since he's like never actually in the show, he's just narrating over it. 
they they definitely could do some really cool AI stuff with him just narrating that show forever. Because it's just not going to be the same yeah. to have somebody else do that. That's true. Yeah, you could easily do that for sure if you're not seeing the people. And I guess we never see Jamie really either. No, but Jamie, I mean, sometimes. Jamie adds a little bit every now and again. He says a few things here and there. And I, and I think he's important for Joe for him to be there as well. Don't you think? Of course. That's why I think it comes. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I think it would come down to personal preference. Some people might not want to pay a real human and just have an AI. Maybe some cheap asses will just rather have AI. I don't know. I'm probably going to have to replace you with an AI, Todd. I was just thinking about it. There you go. There we go. All right. See, you're, you are, you're a cheap ass. <laughs> <laughs> but you're not a cheap ass. That doesn't make sense. You know, you, know you won't because you're not a cheap ass. So well, there dude, you go. imagine how boring it would be. It doesn't matter how well an AI could talk back to me while I do a pod. It's like I'm not going to enjoy it talking to a robot. I'll never take that seriously. No. No, it'd be strange. Yeah. Not not for me. But dude. some people some people really like that though. I mean, some people never leave their homes and they just want to put on VR goggles all day. And those are the types of people that are gonna talk to a robot. True. That's very true. I think I think people are gonna have robot friends and robot girlfriends in the future. You know? Like people Absolutely. That, that really are, I don't know, very shy or super introverted or just kind of recluse. You know, it's like the only person that never spoke down to them or judges them or, uh, you know, there's definitely going to be a place for that eventually. Well, good for those people, man. Hopefully it makes them happier. Yeah, exactly. If it works. All right, let's jump over to Mike uh, Vecchioni. What do you think of this guy? Have you ever seen a stand up? I had no, never seen a stand up. I didn't realize he was on, what did they say? Kimmel and the Tonight Show and. Fallon. Yeah, he's done the rounds. Um, he's done the rounds. I did. I appreciated him, you know, right at the beginning, talking about how, you know, he 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 broke up with his lady that he thought he was going to marry, and that's why he pushed himself to do stand up because he just didn't care anymore. He just he just went for it, right? It's like you take those, you can take those cross crosses in the road, and you know, you can either do good with it or you could you know, be ashamed your whole life and not do anything with your life. And then you're just depressed all the time. And he clearly took the correct path and just went for a dream that he probably wouldn't have done if he would have stayed with his, with his gal that he was with. Well, I think it's an important message that he was in kind of a low place, right? So in a sense, you got nothing to lose, which is instead of just looking at your life, like, Oh, I got nothing going for me. Really, you can look at it as like, well, I've got nothing to lose as well, so I can take some big risks. And that's mm -hmm. what he was saying was kind of powering him through. Like, okay, well, if I keep bombing, which I will because I'm an open micer, then it's okay. It's like my life's kind of yeah. a bit of that mess anyway. Whereas if he had a good job and a lot of other things going for him, maybe he wouldn't have been able to power through those, those kind of loneliest, shitty moments at the beginning of stand-up. And, you know, probably if you stick at something for like three, four, five years, you start making some friends in it, you know, you're going to know other comics, even though you've got a lot of work to go. But you're, you know, making some headway. You're just more relaxed in it. It's it's like that. that's the hardest part, probably, right at the beginning. 
Yeah, I agree. And he, he obviously, he's a sensitive guy, right? He worked, he's just a really nice guy, right? So yeah. I don't think really nice guys, you don't seem to be comics, right? In most cases, I'm not saying comics aren't nice, but you know what I mean? He just, he's a bit of a sensitive dude. I could, you right. could tell just when he was speaking. And, you know, he talked about the crowd being, I'm here for the crowd. The crowds are the ones, the people that are here on their night off and they're here, you know, some of these people might be divorced or they need a break and they just want to laugh. And he just, he really seemed like he really cared about the craft, but he cared about the crowd more than, than really what he was putting out there. Right. I mean, obviously that helped him, but just knowing that he really cares about the crowd is probably why he's been able to do so well with his standup. Right. He really just, he's just a caring guy. Well, I think that's very he gives a shit. It's an important message for a lot of comedians to never forget that these people, you know, it's hard for them to organize coming out. It's a big deal for them. For you, it's just another night practicing your material, but it's like a good excuse to um just to remind yourself to put it all in. I remember Duncan Trussell talking about this on another The Weaponized podcast with Jeremy Corbell. And he and he was talking about when he first was opening for Joe, like Joe would bring him on the road with him. And I guess one night mm. he wasn't really feeling it, just wasn't putting that energy in. And Joe pulled him aside and, and gave him that little speech like, hey, remember, this is like a big deal for these people. And that yeah. it just it's good advice and it resonates with I've heard that story told at least with Joe saying it a few times and other comedians on their way up like realizing that as well and, and it, I think it just adds to that responsibility it's like yeah it's not just all about you it sucked that you bombed and you're having a tough time with these sets but keep putting the work in and don't forget why you're here it's the it's a cool thing and it really does come through when you see you know, the most veteran comedians. I mean, once these guys get into like doing it for 20 years, every time you go to see them, it's, it's like they just have this switch or this gear that they get into and they really bring it. It's fascinating. I mean, I don't know if you've seen a lot of, you know, headline comedians that just crush it constantly um, at the different comedy clubs but when we go down to Austin, you're going to see this, and it's and it's it's surprising how impressive it is. Like really, yeah. Well, you get you get in the flow, right? It's like you you call it a switch, but really, it's just getting into that mindset where you're just on. Yeah, and that's what that's what they're thriving off of, right? I mean, that's why they do it is for that feeling. When you're on stage and you're killing it, that is the feeling that is like no other feeling. Right. Well, what did Joe say? It was like uh, building a mountain, one layer of paint at a time. Like that's a really good way that of looking at it. I mean, it's a daunting task. You don't you don't want to start comedy off thinking that's what it is every day because the the road ahead is just so long and fraught with obstacles that you just probably your mind wouldn't be able to think about it. You just take it a day at a time. But that's really what you're doing. And then by the end of it in a sense you have a masterpiece because you've practiced those layers so much. I mean, you've seen it all at that point. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, it, it reminds me, I know we're not going, we're not talking about big J or Ari, but it reminded me, um, 
that point of like keeping at it and doing it for the fans. Uh-huh. Big J was talking about, um, if you remember, he's talking about the Doors film and watching, you know, thinking Jim Morrison is such a badass, but then, you know, towards the end of his life, he wouldn't show up on stage or he'd be too drunk and he'd be a mess. And, you know, when you're younger, you think that's kind of cool, right? You're like, oh, Jim Morrison's a badass. And then you get older and you're thinking, well, no, you suck, dude. You're like, the crowd came out. It's, you know, they got babysitters. They came out to the show. And now all of a sudden you're drunk ass, can't even stand on stage. Like, what are you doing, man? That's like, a this good is point. Amateur. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I and I think that's and the gr- downfall for many um, artists too, is like they, they think that they're bigger than their own fan base in a sense like they can do anything you know i think kanye's been there a few times too he's like canceled shows in the middle of it just because he got annoyed or just canceled the whole um tour and you know you just can't do things like that i'm pretty sure oasis did that too when they first came to the u.s the two brothers got in a fight and they canceled like (laughs) half the tour and i mean oh man yeah that's no way to win people over no, it's not cool, man. It's selfish. Uh-huh. Um, so obviously they, they talked a lot about fighting, right? He clearly Vecchione is a huge fan of boxing, especially. Yeah, big boxing um, fan. They talk about that BJ Penn when he started training with Mark uh, Moranovich and how they're just doing ruthless cardio and plyometrics and all that stuff. And it just it it reminds me of how you know, you get this strength through adversity. Like you can be a fighter all you want, but if you're not, if you're not busting ass every day on cardio, you're never going to make it through 10 rounds. For sure. Never. Well, you're, you're also going to struggle to fight through the pain and fight through two rounds that you lose. You know, it's like, imagine that you just got your ass kicked for two rounds, but you're still in it. And your cardio is like somewhat there. You know your skill set is good, but where's your mental game at? Unless you've mm-hmm. done those awful training sessions where it's like you're so exhausted right. you can't stand. Everything in your mind tells you to quit. And, it, you know, you have to practice that gear. Like, oh, look, man, you've got another round. You've got a chance. You've got to believe in yourself. You've got to get out there. I mean, when when a lot of... MMA guys started to really incorporate that into their training. Um, I mean, the just the overall level of the sport went through the roof. Yeah. Well, yeah, and he talks about, I mean, Joe mentioned that just having YouTube videos nowadays. I mean, they talked a lot about how social media and all that stuff can be a bad thing, but if you use it correctly even with comics or with fighters, you're able to watch all these old fights. You can go through hours and hours and hours of film. And, you know, same thing with comics. They can go through these hours and hours of film from all these old legends and really get a feel for this stuff. But you still have to have that mental toughness, which, you know, to get through the rounds or to, you know, to get through all the bombing. And I don't know how you do that with stand-up other than just going every chance you get to get on stage whether you bomb or not right that's the only really way you can mentally prepare yourself for for being on stage a lot right well that that's that's the big part of it it's how many times you go like joe talked about it when he was chatting with mike that you know he knew these people that 
were writers or and that's a bit of a trap because you write for a show and now you're not on stage as much or um like Bert Kreischer he got that travel show and Joe oh, had yeah. to Joe had to tell him like hey man that show's dumb you should do stand up you're that good I know it's paying your bills but you're trapped and now look at where Bert's at and yeah it's a risk but if you've got other comedians that really know the game that are good telling you hey this is worth you doing i don't think they're going to lie to somebody i don't think joe was saying that to bert without really having a good idea that he could become as big as he is uh you know yeah. and and in the same way when they talked about people taking time off yeah and i heard that like even as an open micer you know one two years into it i remember there were groups of our friends we wouldn't see for a while and then they come back around and they're like, yeah, I just took a couple of months off just doing some writing. And 100% of the time, they got worse when that happened. Mm. It just, there's more to it than just saying they need time off or taking a break. It's like it's it's beating them. You know, that grind is beating them. Some of those bad sets are just beating them. And the only way to get through it is to um, keep doing it, keep facing it. Otherwise, all you're doing is quitting. That's it. And I get it. Some people have to quit because it's hard. It's a huge sacrifice to start that stuff. You know, there are parallels yeah. between fighting and stand-up, probably, in that way. And I'm sure Joe could take a lot of that skill set or training forward from his fighting days into stand-up. Like, you don't win. You don't win all the time. And you got to be able to deal with that. Yeah, that's absolutely true, man. I mean, it, the adversity is necessary. You have to have that. Yeah. Or else you're not going to get any better. I mean, that's really all it comes down to. And you're also, uh, Joe mentions this so many times about how so many of his comic buddies are struggling physically, right? Like they're not, you know, in the gym or whatever. And it does, you don't have to go to the gym to struggle physically. There's plenty of other things you can do for exercise. But how that messes up their mind, and you can just see how that mental strength goes down if you're if you're not in good physical health. Yeah, yeah. It's just there's such a correlation that we're finally figuring this out. I don't know why it took us so long as humans to figure out, you know, how much better mentally you will be if you're good if you're good physically, and how if you're not struggling, you know, through whatever like goggins goggins is a crazy example but they brought him up about how the fucking guy was pissing his his piss looked like diet coke yeah <laughs> oh god but he so then what he goes to the hospital and then he what he goes back to the race a week later and they and, and he's like i need to finish this race so he starts at the same spot where he left off before he went to the hospital and finishes the race yeah something like that obviously that's insane that's an extreme example that's an extreme example i get it but you know if you're not going up every night as a comic or every night you can then yeah you're gonna get worse uh -huh. absolutely yeah it's it's i mean it, in rare cases you could have and they even talked about you know like an eddie murphy type guy he could take a long time off and then come back and do well but he was a a phenom like completely unusual Probably if he had carried yeah. on doing stand-up this whole time, he'd be the GOAT, you know? And he still might be in a sense. 
But you know, we lost yeah. we lost what twenty, thirty years of amazing stand up from him from quitting. It's it's unusual that he did that. Well, he has he has like ten kids, so I get that. Yeah, it's busy, and he's been making movies. <laughs> he's he's been making movies. I get it. Let's uh, not forget. Let's not forget Hercules. Oh please, that was the best. Chappelle was in that too. He was the guy that was got he slapped. Really? In, yeah, that. he was the stand up that was making fun of him, and then when Eddie got skinny, like slammed him in the piano and then roasted him. <laughs> yeah, that was Chappelle. <laughs> the last thing Funny. I wanted to talk about because we've been messing with it a lot is chat GPT and the fact that it's getting so good that it can write jokes in the style of other people and it's really interesting because it's so difficult to come up with premises and write jokes and you know I mean back in 2016 when I started doing some stand up that I, I could just stare at a blank page for hours and not get anything. I mean, writing jokes is hard, mm-hmm. and especially at the beginning. I mean, everything you're writing is dog shit. But the fact that now they have chat GPT and open micers could have, like, new, fresh sets written that are, you know, three minutes long. That's about as long as an open mic set is. And, you know, they could tweak it and change it and practice it and really hone it to their own. But they're basically getting these this machine to write their sets – um, I don't know if I wouldn't have used that. I think that it would be such an advantage. I mean, yeah, in a sense, it's cheating. It's not really your material. But I guess it's not really anyone else's material either. Yeah, I mean, as long as you tweak it, then that's going to get weird, though, because a lot of people might have similar jokes that were written by ChatGPT. I know, right? Imagine if there was, like, all the same same acts just coming out from these open micers because chat GPT was just fucking with all the comedians and writing the same thing. <laughs> they would be so messed up. Anyway, I think it, it's, it's good to start with, right? It's like, it's good to get some ideas out on paper, but maybe just tweak, tweak it enough to where it's your own material, right? You just have to be careful about not plagiarizing a computer, a computer, I guess. I guess, I guess <laughs> where it could work is if you're, let's say that the, your performance end is more organized than your coming up with jokes end, you know? And then, the, like, the, literally the only hurdle in your way to getting back up on stage and doing some more comedy is that you just struggle so bad to make any material. Maybe then. Maybe then. Mm-hmm. You know? It's like, it's better to just find a way to get on stage. I'm definitely not saying steal anyone's jokes. Don't do that to get good you know get some confidence to get on stage but if it keeps some momentum going ultimately you're going to fully be writing your own stuff anyway so you know i guess kind of who cares how you manage to stay up there but it's going to change things it's going to be it's going to be interesting for a while it might also mean that open mics get a lot better because you know open micers <laughs> jokes especially when they're brand new are pretty clumsy and often painful to listen to all right well that's it for this week i appreciate you guys um we're gonna be heading to austin go check out joe's new club go watch some moto gp and just explore the town that we hear so much about on joe's podcast it sounds great i'm pretty exciting obviously david cho liked it so hopefully we will go maybe to terry blacks and get some barbecue 
Um, and we'll do a live episode from there later in the week. So stay tuned for that. And otherwise, uh, love you guys. Have a great week. And we'll talk to you soon. Cheers. Later. 